Well, good morning, everyone. And it is a good morning for us. But it's not a good morning for the rest of the world. A lot of it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not only our great creator, but you're a God of justice. And Lord, we, we see injustice, wickedness of the worst kind, uh, threatening on every hand. We want to pray for the people of Ukraine and particularly the believers, many of them I hear who are there, whose very lives, families, all of that are threatened. We're sitting here in the warmth under a nice roof. We're free. All kinds of hell raining down on them. Our Father, we know it's a wicked world. We know there'll be wars and rumors of wars. We don't know when they'll be, where they'll be, how bad it will be. But we know that in the sinful world it will be. We don't know how far it will spread, but we see evil encroaching. Our Father, we pray for those people. We pray for that country. We pray for everyone affected, near or far away, and protect your people. Put a wall, a shield about them. And we pray, our Father, that you will crush evil. But your will be done, our Father, not ours. We pray for our people. Lord, we... uh, We have our problems, and problems are problems. Heaviness is heaviness. Grief is grief, wherever it is. And we pray for all of our people, our Father, who are encumbered by these things. And uh, we pray that you might minister to the need of each and every one. Give encouragement where encouragement is needed. Give provision where provision is needed. We pray for healing where healing is needed. And... uh, Our Heavenly Father, we pray that as a family we may rise up and uh, do our part. But we pray, Lord, that in light of what's going on in this world, we may measure our troubles and we may be thankful, we may be grateful for all the goodness that surrounds us. We pray for men and women, some who may be here who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Spirit may minister in such a way straight on or sideways, that uh, the light may shine in and they may come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. For any who are guests here, first of all, we're delighted that you're here, always are. And uh, we... uh, want to pray that the Spirit of God would minister to you. If anybody is here who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, again, we're thankful that you're here. We have a message that will particularly relate to those who may not know him. I want to read Matthew 27, not the whole chapter, it's a long chapter, but I want to read a part of it, and then we'll pick up the rest as we move along down as far as Verse 26, these narratives in here are called the passion narratives, meaning suffering. 
the suffering of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in 27.1, Now when morning had come, Jesus had been in a kangaroo court all night. All the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and they led him away and delivered him up to Pilate, the governor. That's the Roman governor. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, you want to say, Judas, what else did you expect, you idiot? He felt remorse, not repentance, remorse. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders. And as he returned it, he said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And there he admitted it was a setup. They said to him, hey, Bob, what's that to us? It's your problem. He threw the pieces of silver into the sanctuary and departed. He went ahead, went away, and he hanged himself. The chief priest took the pieces of silver. Oh, this is so interesting. And they said, now they're worried about keeping the law. It's not lawful to put these pieces of silver into the temple treasury, Korban, since it's the price of blood. So they counseled together and with the money bought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. And for this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day, Matthew writes. Then that which is spoken through Jeremiah the prophet, also Zechariah, was fulfilled, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel, and they gave them for a potter's field, as the Lord directed me. We'll stop right there for now. When the Roman procurator, Pontius Pilate, 2000, 2,100 years ago, tried Jesus in Jerusalem. He's going to ask some questions which are timeless. I will translate them. But before we get to those, we've got this interlude about Judas. Matthew wants you to notice, in case anybody worries about the innocence of Jesus, that he was some kind of revolutionary, which he's been called he was not. They took Jesus and they bound him. That's the funniest thing. He was innocent as a lamb, but people always have to make things look good. So they bound him like he was some sort of seditionist. And they led him to Pilate, the governor. They were up early. Probably Pilate had been tipped off about this. So he was probably waiting for their band of brothers to bring in Jesus. Somewhere in that interval, Judas, he was mad at himself because he had betrayed innocent blood, not so mad to repent, 
but he was just feeling guilty all over, like white on rice. I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. He took the bag of silver. He took it back to its source. He threw it in the sanctuary. We're not exactly sure what is meant by the sanctuary. But the principals, some of them at least, were there, the chief priests. And he said, uh, what are we going to do with this? It's a price of blood. We... uh, we can't put that into the temple treasury. If you ever saw a classic example of straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel, this is it. People still do it. So they finally decided, well, what we can do is buy a potter's field, a place where potters either got their material or a place where and or where they discarded broken pottery and that sort of thing a place where strangers came to Jerusalem and they uh, died, unfortunately. Maybe they were Gentiles or maybe they were Jews, but couldn't send them home, so they buried them right there. But Matthew just wants us to know that this is a fulfillment of prophecy. I want to tell you it's a very difficult prophecy. And I would get everybody all tangled up if I got into try to explaining that, so I won't. Verse 11. Now, Judah, Jesus stood before the governor. This is Pilate. The governor begins to interrogate him in verse 11. And Pilate, the whole thing is structured here around a series of questions. Pilate, the procurator, asked Jesus. These questions are historical, but they're also timeless in a way. And that's what I want you to see. Those of you who've been around me a long time, whether you knew it formally or informally, you sensed it or saw it, you always know, and I tell you every once in a while. It's easy enough for me to zip through this and explain this and explain this. This means this, that means that, and all that sort of thing. But my expositor's eye is always on the timeless because it's always there. So I look for it. These things are not only historical, but they're contemporary. People don't change. They don't change. Outward circumstances change, language changes, culture changes, dress changes, all that kind of thing. But basically, unbelievers are always the same. And we believers are always the same. Not in every exact point, but in so many ways, it's worth mentioning. Pilate is, uh, he's not a sympathetic figure. He was uh, He was a very mixed up guy. We know from extra-biblical history, Josephus, one example, who was boots-on-the-ground historian, a a Jewish priest. We know from his remarks about Pilate, a very cruel man, and sometimes insecure people, and Pilate was insecure, are very cruel. He hated the Jews, despised them. They got on his nerves. And now he has this Jesus guy in front of him. They're hauling him in there. And they just want him just to rubber stamp. Hey, we found him guilty. Don't ask any questions. 
crucify him. We'd do it ourselves, but we don't have the legal right to under you Romans. So just do it. I mean, Pilate was of the opinion, well, what's, what's the charge? Hey, if he were not a malefactor, would we have brought him to you? I mean, that's the exchange. Some of this I will bring in some perspectives from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not too many, but they are complementary narratives. And that's exactly what happened. He says to them, what, what's the deal? And they say, ah, knock it off. Don't ask what's the deal. Look at us. We are the elites. We're the leaders of the Jews. We said he's guilty. Now get rid of him. Kill him. But Pilate wanted to joust with them because he despised them and he knew their motives. So here we go. But I'm going to focus in my exposition on the questions Pilate asked and then I'm going to translate them a bit to make them more contemporary and more timeless. So Jesus stood before the governor and the governor questioned him. By this time, he knew what they were saying. Okay, Bob, what's the deal here? From what I'm hearing, they're telling me you are claiming to be the king of the Jews. Now, that was a very, very serious charge. They weren't telling Pilate the whole story. But they knew that'd get his ears up because he was already on shaky grounds with Tiberius Caesar. Some things had happened and he had lost a little bit of his cachet in the court. So somebody coming along and saying they were the king of the Jews when there was one king of the Jews and that was who? The Roman emperor. So this smacked of sedition. This was maybe an insurrectionist, another one. And they weren't going to put up with that for a minute. Not a minute. They would crucify him faster than you could say boo-hoo. But they had their process. So am I hearing it right that you're the king of the Jews? And uh, Jesus uh, said to him, really the way he put it, they've got in this translation, which is not wrong. It is as you say, that's what he meant. But Jesus really said in the Greek, those are your words, not mine, though he wasn't going to disown them. And uh, Pilate said, uh, as he asked questions as while he was being accused by the chief priest, now you can just hear him, you can just hear him yelling over top of him. He said this, he said that, blah, 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 and all that stuff. And uh, verse 14 Pilate said to him, do you hear how many things they're testifying against you? So there's two questions. But let's go back to the first. Okay. 
Who are you? Who do you profess to be? And that question is still out there. It's been in the world ever since. There are all kinds of questions on earth and in the news. But the the most important question, the supreme question, is who is Jesus? Who do you claim to be? And yes, he claimed to be the king of the Jews, which was to claim that he was the Messiah, which was to claim that he was the son of God which was to claim that he is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. I drove in here and as always, I see people running and doing all this kind of stuff early on Sunday morning, clueless. But if they understood who Jesus was, they'd be here to worship him, to honor him, but they don't. They're just as dumb as Pilate was. Okay, Bob, who do you claim to be? That's the question as we sit here this morning. Those of us who know Jesus as our Savior, put our trust in him, we acknowledge that this King of the Jews is the Son of God and the Son of Man, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, seated at the right hand of the Father now who is in heaven and is going to come again. That's everything. So many questions every day on earth, in our neighborhood, in our country, in the world. Pundits talking here and talking there, yammering about this and yammering about that. But that question's not on the table for most of them, but God's put that one on the table. Pilate asked, who do you claim to be? Yeah. He explained to Pilate, as we look at all the narratives, he explained to Pilate that his kingdom was not like Caesar's. It was not a kingdom based on human power and authority, and Pilate's listening very carefully. It was not a kingdom of geographical boundaries. It was not a kingdom with standing armies. Oh, that's good. Ooh. Okay. That kind of solves my problem as I'm up here to adjudicate your case. It was not a kingdom or rulership that emanated from any human source. It was not the kind of domain that Jesus was professing to rule. His kingdom was not of this world. It was from another place. And in that way, he kind of left it. Pilate had his interest. Jesus had his. And he invited Pilate by silence. So, yeah, tell me more. I'm interested. I said, okay, that's enough of that. He found all he was interested in. This level, this level, this earthly level, Rome's level. He was not interested in another thing. Now, there was another question that Jesus, not another question, one that Pilate asked, but Jesus got this far. Jesus added at this point in John, he told him, you know, that's the truth and all who are of the truth, hear me. 
That was true then. That's true now. Pilate, though he lived 2,100 years ago, was a postmodernist. He didn't believe in truth. And so what he says in John, not included in Matthew, is, ah, truth. What's truth? Now, I never want to underestimate any of you people. We got an awful lot of smart people, highly educated. You don't have to be highly educated to understand this. But I don't mean to talk down to anybody, but if you don't know, you're living in a world that is dominated by the theory that there is no such thing as truth. That's why you hear sometimes even criminals will say, well, that's my truth. Whatever your opinion is, that's your truth. What my opinion is, that's my truth. Whatever her opinion is, that's their truth. Hey, it's all up for grabs. It works for me, this works for me, maybe that works for you. But what we must understand is that there is truth. And how do we know the truth? What's the benchmark of the truth? It's the word of God. It's the revelation that God has given us. No, it doesn't tell me the truth about physics. It doesn't tell me the truth about mathematics or chemistry. But it tells me ultimate truth, the overarching and overriding truth and what is really ultimately important. But people don't even believe in that. What is truth? And I say to anybody who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need to come down there that the truth is in Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And he defines it all. And the word that he has given us through his Spirit It is the benchmark, the guideline, the touchstone of truth. And only as we're in touch with that truth and guided by it can our life be on any safe course. Without it, we are doomed. Well, then the next question was, it's here. I just read it. And I'm just putting it in kind of a contemporary way. Pilate looked at him and he was amazed. We know that when we put all the text together. And he was studying this guy. In one way, he was full of contempt. (laughs) Yeah, right. You're the king of the Jews. (laughs) Oh boy. Where do they find these people? Especially these Jews. But then there was another side of Pilate that was very, very amazed. He saw this man standing before him, but he wasn't cringing. He saw this man standing before him that wasn't pleading, have mercy on me. He saw him standing there, squared up, reconciled to his fate, almost saying, let's get on with it. Not bothered by the by all of the stuff that they were throwing at him from the sideline. 
he was composed. And Pilate was saying, this guy intrigues me. What's with him anyway? Hmm. A little bothersome. Later on, we're going to see in this passage that one of the reasons that he was bothered was because of Pilate's wife. (laughs) Guys, a lot of us get bothered by our wives. (laughs) You know, sometimes she sent him a message and uh, he read it. It's down here in verse 19. And while he was sitting on his beam of the judgment seat, his wife sent a message from extra-biblical history. Tradition says her name was Procula. She may later have become a Christian, but that's tradition and that's not scripture. We don't know. But she had a very bad dream. She was telling Pilate while these proceedings were going on, Honey, don't have anything to do with this righteous man. How did she know he's righteous? A supernatural dream. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. Don't you do what you usually do. Ah, enough of you. Kill him. You uh, you need to work your way out of this. This man is innocent. But before that, another question had been raised. Let's go to verse 15. We see in the previous verse that the governor was amazed that Jesus didn't answer a single charge. But at the feast, this is the Passover, Pilate was in Jerusalem because often there was trouble. And if he was there, there would be less of it and he could get right on it and kill some people if necessary. So he had a, whether it was his custom or a previous custom by other governors, but anyway, he was honoring it. The governor was accustomed to release for the multitude any one prisoner they wanted. And uh, that's where this note from his wife plays in. How do I get out of this? This is his mind. I hate these Jews. They're such a ridiculous people. They cause me so much headache. And now they put this guy up here. My wife's had a dream. I can see from talking to him. It's a trumped up charge. I'm interested in the politics of the situation. I'm satisfied he's no political threat to Rome. But oh man, I'm not in the best standing with Rome right now. And if I let this guy go... And there, and they did. It's not all in Matthew. 
They're threatening. This guy claims to be another king. He doesn't pay taxes, opposes that all a lie. And if you don't do anything about him, if you don't honor our request to put him to death, we're going to tattletale. We're going to send a message back to Rome that you had this guy up on charges, that we ourselves put him up there for you to deal with, and you didn't. Pilate's trying to figure a way out. Is there a win-win situation in this? So as he fiddles around trying to figure his way out of this dilemma, he thought of this custom that they have of releasing a prisoner of their own choice. And, um, ah, got it. There's this guy, everybody knows about him, headline case. All the Jews know about this fellow Barabbas, ironically, and it's in brackets in the Greek text. This guy, Jesus Barabbas. Or I've got this guy, Jesus, the supposed Messiah. Which Jesus do you want me to let go? And he figured this Barabbas, he was an insurrectionist and he was a murderer. They didn't even like Barabbas. Pilate thought he had it figured out. Why didn't they like Barabbas? Well, the leaders of the Jews, the whole apparatus, they had very good positions. The Romans had put them in charge. They were privileged. But if you had some wildcat insurrectionist out there killing people, the Romans didn't like disorder a little bit. Not a little bit. And they didn't want any disorder. They didn't want any rabble. And Barabbas was a rabble rouser. This Jesus Barabbas. He was a nutcase. Keep him locked up to be killed later. So Pilate says, I've got two options here, folks. We both win. He didn't say that, but that's what he was thinking. I can release to you this Barabbas, this Jesus Barabbas. That's a common name, by the way. Or I've got this Jesus who's called the Messiah. Well, they figured they'd weigh the options and all the people would say, oh, Okay, we don't like this Jesus much. He knew he had been delivered up for jealousy. That's what the text says. He figured they'd go for the deal. And uh, they didn't. Who do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Let's talk about that question. Who do you want me to release to you? Well, I think of our country, I think of our world. What's it have to do with today? Well, that question is still out there. Who's best for the country? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus the Messiah? Which one is best? 
They said Barabbas. And our country still says that. I would have asked you, somebody might look it up if you want to on your cell phone. I think it's Crowleyville Middle School. There was a rather attractive looking lady who just lost her job down in Texas. She lost her job because she was caught on video and the video was there. And she said, I'll connect these two. She said just the other day, talking to two friends in the hallway, that these conservative Christians need to die. Hope COVID gets them. That is just one person and they're always crazies. But there are more people in this country than you can imagine who approximately feel that way. Who do you want to lead your country, save your country, be good for America? Do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? And they'll take Barabbas every time. And how do I know that? Because I look at the elections and I've looked at them for years. And America is approximately divided right down the middle between one group that despises God, that despises his son, that despises his church, that is amoral and immoral, and twists justice, just like is happening here, upside down. We'll take people who are not criminals and hang them and take people who are criminals and we'll release them. They know what they're doing. They do not like you. And any day of the week, they will take Barabbas to Jesus. And if they went to go to the polls and the polls said Barabbas or Jesus, that's what you would have. And it's getting worse. Who do you want me to release to you, Pilate says. Well, God says, who do you want me to release to you? My son or these people? Well, we made our choice. Excuse me. We made our choice. It's there. And that teacher spoke for a lot of people. Then there was this question that Pilate asked. <coughs> I swallowed wrong, folks. It's not COVID. <laughs> I just swallowed wrong. If, if I've got COVID, I'll do what the lady said. I'll drop dead up here and just please the heck out of her. So what shall I do for you with Jesus? You hear how many things they testify against you? Well, the timeless aspect of that question is this. Saying to Jesus, if you're the real deal, speak up and defend yourself. Man, don't you hear, do you hear all these charges coming at you? Listen to this crowd over here. Listen to this. Listen to these, listen at them yelling these charges up here. And you stand here straight as a tree. And you don't answer a thing. 
If you're who you say you are, if you're, the, if your kingdom is in heaven, don't you think it's high time that you speak up for yourself? Answer these charges. The world's still out there like that. If Jesus is who we say he is, how come he's not answering all the charges? How come he's not intervening? How come he's not speaking up for himself? It's because he's got a plan. And he's working the plan. And he'll do it in his time. And he'll do it in his way. And he will come again. And he will restore order. And bring righteousness and justice to this planet. Until then, he's standing still. And letting them yell whatever they want to yell. Letting people say whatever they want to say. Letting people do up to a point whatever they do. But there's a plan. And it was the plan of salvation. And it was a plan to die for your sins and my sins. And they were clueless. Pilate was clueless. Why don't you speak up for yourself? That's why. But then there was this next question. Verse 23, these people kept yelling. They don't care. They're not rational. Let him be crucified, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate says, hey, he loved to antagonize the Jews. Hey, got a question. Will everybody shut up for a minute? Why? What evil has he done? Oh boy, you talk about a question that rings to our day. People don't like Jesus. Because they don't like Jesus, they don't like you. John 15 said to Jesus, if they hated me, they will hate who? They will hate you. You run into Psalms talking about people smile. Hi, how are you? But once they know who you are, yeah. But the question is, if you're here or if you're listening online, many of you do, and you don't know the Lord, you don't know Jesus. But somehow you just can't bring yourself to embrace him, to accept him, to trust in him. You just can't find it in yourself to rise up and be disagreeable to the crucifixion. Well, that was maybe a step too far. What evil has he done? That's always a good question to ask your unbelieving friends. Why can't you accept him? Why can't you receive him? Why can't you bow at his knees? Why? What evil has he done? Isn't that the strange thing in this world? Usually, if people have a, are deeply antagonistic towards somebody, you ask them, they may be right, they may be wrong, but you say, what's your problem with that person? And they, it may be false, it may be a rumor, but they will say this or they will say that. When it comes to Jesus Christ... And you haven't received him, I ask you. 
What wrong did he ever do? Think about yourself. Here is the righteous one. He never led an army against anybody. He never hurt anybody. He spoke the truth. Maybe that's the objection. But why can't you bring yourself to receive him? I think that'd be one of the most convicting questions. I don't want him. Why? I don't like him. Why? I wish I could get him out of my life and out of my mind. Why? Why? What wrong did he ever do? That's a biggie, I think. And what did they come back with? When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, that kind of bias, that kind of hate, that kind of thing. Rather, a riot was starting, and he couldn't afford that. Not in the eyes of Rome. If he couldn't handle things, we'll get somebody who can. He took water, and he washed his hands in front of the multitude, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. Take him. Crucify him. No, Pilate, you're not innocent. And I say to any man or woman here or listening to me online, you're not exonerated, you're not exempt. When you see right and you won't stand up for it, you are very, very wrong. If I saw one of your children being terribly abused, and I stood by and just washed my hands and said, I'm innocent of this kid's blood. How would you take that? Well, I would have said, like heck you are. And then Pilate did what they usually did with somebody who's going to be crucified. He uh, released Barabbas for them. Jesus, he, who did that? Pilate, he scourged and delivered him over to be crucified. That was a horrible thing. They usually did that. It was just routine. You got somebody that's going to be crucified. You go out, you had a soldier on each side. They had whips with leather and they had either metal or bone or something in the tips of them. The Jews would not allow anybody to be whipped more than 39 lashes. They had no limit. And so they would tie them to a post. And they'd whip the you-know-what out of them until their veins were exposed, often their bones, and their entrails were exposed, and oftentimes they died right there. There was no need to crucify them. I wash my hands, I'm, I'm innocent of this man's blood. No, Pilate, you're not. And everybody who do, everyone who does not receive him does not submit to him as the Lord of lords and the Savior of the earth. You do the same thing in the eyes of God. Take that home with you. In the eyes of God, you're Pilate.
I didn't do it. If I'd have been there, I wouldn't have approved it. Yeah, by your silence, you would. The German people, you know, as they knew the Holocaust going on, the German church, part of it, as they knew the Holocaust was going on, they just wanted to be safe. Just be safe. But you know what history says about them. And it's not good. And it's not good for any man or woman 2,100 years later to know what Jesus did to accomplish your salvation so that you might be forgiven. He went. Isaiah 53 says it. He went as a lamb to the slaughter. Not pro- I don't know how. And somebody says, well, he was, you know, you said he was the son of God. And so he had in that supernatural being of him a, a kind of built-in anesthesia. So it didn't hurt him. But, oh, yes, it did. Yeah, we don't understand the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Every lash hurt him just like it would hurt you. And he did that for our sins. To be silent is to send a statement loud and clear to heaven. You're just Pilate. Pilate all over again. And we live in a culture that's the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the elders and the scribes all over again. It's horrible to think about it. But let's think about the salvation that he's accomplished for us. And most of us in this room have embraced him. We bow before him. And we call him our Savior, the Lord of Lords, and the King of Kings. And how fortunate we are, and how small are our problems, relatively, when we look at things in that light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for the great redemption that you worked out for us, your Son, The Son of God became the Son of Man voluntarily to enter this world and to submit himself to all of that horror, all that indignity, all of that suffering, all that humiliation. All we can do, our Father, is sit back and wonder and say, wow. Father, help us as we trek through this life to measure our problems, to measure our issues. And to think how grateful we ought to be for such a Savior. We pray that others who don't know him might come to know him. Might humble themselves, repent of their sins and faith. And follow after him. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.